Welcome to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. If you want to hear the show, you can find it on Family Life Radio. If you want to find a station near you, you can go to myflr.org or stream it online. We've got Mike Donahue with us, former lead singer of 10th Avenue North. You're on your own now, and you're a solo artist, and you're an author. This Is this the second book you've written, I think? I, I snuck out the first book in 2019, which is like the time that we've all forgotten existed. Right. Pre, pre-pandemic. Yeah. Like time, time truly became a construct after that. Our brains were washed during that whole process. So, yes. Grace in the Gray... Uh, a more loving way to disagree. Do we ever need that? Especially with, you know, we're, <laughs> you know, if you, during the holidays, it's like you're with relatives and, and people that you may agree with or not, or there's that crazy <laughs> uncle that's going to just, no matter what, he's going to tell you about all his theories, <laughs> conspiracy theories, you know? Yes. Um, so this is perfect. I think that a lot of us need to learn how to, to to disagree properly. Tell us the story of how this book came about. Did you have a real problem in this area or what's going on? Of course I had a problem in this area. <laughs> <laughs> that, that question could be reframed. What are you, a human or something? Uh, and my family in particular loves just to get excited about everything, whether it's about how you make your coffee or what what actor should have been in what movie. I mean, my family's always had a good propensity for word tussling. Uh, so I was <laughs> prepared for it, I guess you could say. Um, but the book actually, actually really, I got the idea for the book just being in the pandemic and being stuck at home and felt like everything I posted, somebody had a problem with. And I spent the first couple of months of the pandemic just aggressively trying to prove everybody wrong and had this kind of momentous shift where I was in the middle of arguing about something with somebody and I just tried to really understand their position instead of getting them to understand mine. And what happened is people who followed me started reading the way that I was starting to interact with other people. And they said, hey, I don't even agree with your position here, but I'm really convicted by your posture. Mm. And I thought, hmm, maybe that's something we could all explore together in the form of a book. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, mm-hmm. especially, you, you, I it sounds, assume you're talking about social media. There, it's like a dumpster fire of oh, opinions. Yep. And everyone's upset about everybody. And so, it, yeah, it's, it's nonstop. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, social media really helps people say things that they wouldn't usually say to another human face to face. Yeah, that is so true. Isn't that true? Oh my goodness! Yes, yes. you're right. There's, well, there's a um, a lack of responsibility. Mm. You know, you can kind of come in. A lot of times, people use pseudonyms. They'll they'll have private accounts, so they'll just fly in and fire off something, and then and then you can't even respond to them. You know, so there's really this lack of sort of responsibility, for lack of better words, that that you can just come in and engage in all kinds of rhetoric without bearing the consequences. That's true. You're right. (laughs) We had somebody reach out to the show recently and said, love the show, cannot stand the two women cackling. And I'm like, (laughs) 
<laughs> I feel certain you wouldn't have approached us and said that. That's yeah. But man, you hide behind a screen and you go all out. Sure. <laughs> so it's yeah. more obviously not over it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're renaming the show instead of Cankle Fritz in France, it's Cankle Fritz and the Cacklers. Yep. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad our cackling's appreciated. I, I listen to that show. That's awesome. That's what we'll tell her next time. Hey. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, exactly. We have, we have fans. You know, it just sounds like over over time, it's kind of natural, I suppose, but um, we grow, right? Hopefully we grow in the Lord and we grow. So how would you say that uh, you're different today than when you were younger? Okay. The biggest shift for me is I used to oscillate between the two extremes of defensive or defeated. Mm-hmm. Ah. So anytime anyone presented anything that was against something I said or did or my viewpoint, I'd either get super defensive or if they really had a great point, <laughs> I would get super defeated. And the more and more I understand the gospel, uh, it actually helps with both of those extremes because I no longer have to be defensive. I have a defender named Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if someone mm-hmm. points something out to me where I could be wrong, I go, yeah, probably. You know, I don't spend all this energy going, no, let me tell you why I'm so right. I go, man, I'm, I am so used to being wrong that I have called out for divine intervention. Right. Uh, and then I don't get defeated anymore because I'm victorious through Christ. Like he is my savior and my victory. And so now I just embrace my faults. And the book of Proverbs, it says this over and over and over. And it's funny how we don't catch this when we're young, but it says a wise man loves rebuke and a foolish Mm. man hates it. Oh, man. Why Mm. am I not loving rebuke like I should? (laughs) What's wrong with me? It's a good question, though. Like, why don't we? And I think Mm -hmm. because deep down we want to be our own savior. That's ingrained in us. And so to embrace where we're wrong, we have to say, I can't save myself. Well, you know, isn't a life of becoming like Christ slowly realizing you're wrong? <laughs> you <know what> I mean? <laughs> yes. You know, it's well, well said. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the boil it down. There's a lot of areas we got to work on and, and that sometimes it's hard to accept, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not making it. I'm mm-hmm. not cutting it here. Of course. Of course. I have a whole chapter in the book called the four magic words, which are, I could be wrong. (laughs) And Christians ought to be able to embrace this because to begin your walk with Jesus, you had to say, I am wrong. Right, exactly. I was wrong. And so it's not tough to say, and I could be wrong. Sure. New line of merch for you, by the way. I would like to see that. (laughs) I could be wrong wrong apparel line. Exactly. But brought to you by Fritz and the Cackle. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You know, I love those two words, defensive and defeated, because I'm like, yeah, wow. That's it. Uh, maybe it's more universal than I thought because I so relate to those two feelings, but you could also say argumentative. Mm. And so I think about the argumentative part is so much of pride and wanting to be the right one. So, so talk to me about how we, we in a practical way, find a way to put that pride aside, especially 
on the theological issues that we feel we need to be there and be Jesus and speak for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, ver- the first thing we ought to do is, like, especially when you're arguing about something theological, uh, particularly when it's in what I would say is a gray space. And, and the problem is with theological issues, nobody thinks there's a gray space. Everyone's usually pretty certain about what they think about something. Uh, and I would say the first step is listening to the other side. And a real practical way to do that is, I mean, I just had someone on my Instagram telling me how wrong I was for something. And I just, and they gave me a Bible verse and I said, hey, I would, I love your opinion. Thank you so much. You know, so I first validate them, see them, don't make them think they're dumb. Don't try to defend myself. And I say, hey, I would really encourage you to look up several differing commentaries on this verse. Right. And you might be surprised what you find. Because a lot of us spend our time only listening to sources who reconfirm what we've already made up about something. And Mm -hmm. when you just take the time to listen to other perspectives, especially by people who are have doctorates and, you know, have spent their whole lives studying something, you go, maybe there's something to learn here. Yeah. Like that. That's a big word, listener. I don't know that we especially specialize in in listening. So, uh, yeah, that's good. I love that. So you say before you see someone else as a threat, maybe take a moment to recognize that the threat might actually be you. Ouch. I was about to say, first of all, ouch. Uh, (laughs) Second of all, before I perceive you as a threat for saying that. I'm kidding. Yes, Let's dive into that. I, I would I would love to to know the story behind this. That's that's a fascinating observation. Victor Hugo in his stellar uh, piece of literature, Les Miserables, he <laughs> points out that grace uh, is basically to conquer or be conquered. Okay, right. now what do I mean by that? Mm. Jean Valjean, you know the famous scene where Jean Valjean is given the candlesticks by the priest. Uh, right after that, he, he there's a story where Jean Valjean um, is walking the countryside trying to make sense of this kindness that he has received. And this little boy, uh, Petit Gervais is his name, and he's walking up this path and he's flipping a coin and he drops the coin and rolls up to Jean Valjean's foot. And Jean Valjean puts his foot on the coin and won't take it off. And the little boy's like, give me back my coin, give me back my coin. And he's <laughs> knocking for his coin. And Jean Valjean won't give it to him. And the boy runs away weeping. And Jean Valjean has this moment of clarity where he realizes that this act of kindness was actually, was actually an attack on his pride. Mm. Okay. And that now he has to either let himself be melted by this kindness, or if he chooses to resist it, he could harden himself forever. And and it played out perfectly where he becomes the threat to this little boy, right? Mm. Because he won't let kindness melt him. And I think Mm. what we don't realize is a lot of times when we carry this... uh, unaddressed hostility in us that grace grace undermines this hostility that we live with like i have to prove myself i have to show everyone how awesome i am i have to be my own savior 
that energy creates this threatening stance. And when great, I feel like I'm taking a long time to answer this question, but when we accept God's mercy, it, it shifts us so that now we're not here to take or conquer. We have been conquered by kindness. Mm. And so we no longer perceive people as a threat. Like the priest, he didn't perceive Jean Valjean as a threat. Everyone else did. No one else would take him in. And yet, even when Jean Valjean is stealing from him, he goes, here you go. Mm. There's no threat left because he's, he's surrendered all to the kindness of God. That's wow. good. Wow. Interesting. Hey, you said that uh, the pandemic has forced <laughs> you to see uh, that we view each other as not only selfish, but also as outright threats to our own well-being. What do you mean by that? Oh, you know what I mean by that. Well, I want you to I, say it. <laughs> I, I mean, pandemic was a perfect picture of how our fears played out, mm. right? So for one person who's afraid of getting the virus or to another person who's afraid of spreading the virus, there's another person who's afraid that their rights are being taken away by the government. Yeah. And so you have these people existentially feeling different threats and de depending on which threat you felt most invaded upon by that dictated your posture yeah, like if i'm more point. afraid of the government taking away my rights then i'm going to be uh less uh less eager to put a mask on right but if i'm more afraid of getting a virus or spreading a virus than I am losing my rights to the government, then I'll happily put on a mask. And we both kind of condemn the other one for which fear is greater. Yeah. And it's like, mm. and when you can kind of step back and go, man, everybody's afraid. And to be honest, they all have pretty good reasons for being afraid because all of those are actually kind of legitimate. Sure. Yeah. And it pitted, it, against, pitted us against each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Wow. That is a fascinating thought. I had never thought yeah, about I never thought about quite like that, but it's true. Facing yeah. each other. When whenever you see rage, you can you can absolutely assume there's a fear underneath of that anger. Mm. Fear or sadness usually. Mm. Yeah. Boy, that changes your perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it does. When That's I view amazing. people who are threatening to me as a blind POW because mm -hmm. scripture says the prince of this age has blinded unbelievers, right? So if I, if I look at everyone that I meet as you are a blinded prisoner of war, then I view you completely differently than if you are really like my enemy, right? That's wow. a very good point in that hopefully that creates a little more grace, yeah. you know? Because, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's the other thing. You get upset with people for their behavior. Well, if you don't know Jesus, why would I expect you to behave any different? You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I heard a great quote. I'm going to mess it up. But we would do so much better if we considered one another in light of what we have to carry and not in judgment of how well we carry it. Mm. Oh, wow. When you meet someone, mm. you just, you don't know what, history, backstory, like I had somebody raging at me about 
a certain topic and I just, I started, instead of getting defensive, I got curious and I said, hey, could you help me understand how you came to that position? Well, guess what? Suddenly I get to hear about their family and this history with their father and all stuff. So where I used to have been warring with somebody, debating online, it turned into this moment where I got to pray for them. Mm. And, and just the curiosity and kindness are going to open doors that debate never will. I think you just defined the title of your book, Grace and Gray, yeah. a better way to disagree. Right. Um, yeah. a, a kinder way, maybe. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's, it's about realizing what Paul said is true. That if I speak in the tongues of angels and I, have all, I can make known all these mysteries, but I have not love, I'm a resounding gong. Right. He tells Timothy in Second Timothy, correct your opponents with all gentleness. Right. He says in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. So there's this, this marriage that Paul's talking about where we are supposed to tell the truth, but our posture is equally important to our position. And here's a thought that if you're not doing it, love, is it heard anyway? Meaning... In uh-huh. fact, not only is it not heard, could it actually be doing the opposite? Right. Mm-hmm. Like could truth mm-hmm. spoken in the wrong way, could that actually do more harm than if you'd kept your mouth shut? And I exactly. think that's what James means when he says, hey, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Because until you've actually listened to your opponent, you're not going to actually know what to say yep. or how to say it. Wow. There's that L word again. Listen. (laughs) Oh, Sally needs to hear that. Here's a great uh, quote I heard. Dallas Willard, who's an amazing philosopher, Christian speaker, writer. He was a teacher at USC, and they would always be asking him to be a part of these interfaith debates. Mm -hmm. And he would always say the same thing. He'd go, I would love to be a part of that event, provided you change the name of the event. From a debate, from a debate, I don't participate in debates. But if you would reframe it on your poster as a mutual inquiry into the truth, mm. uh, <laughs> I'd love to be there. Yeah, uh, love it. That's good. You know, as we're talking about all of this and finding grace in the gray, you point out that we almost always make assumptions. Oh, guilty, based on what we can see. What does that look like? Um, We as believers, I think, probably do this a lot because we have a lot of, you know, truths that we're holding to. But but today we're talking about finding grace in gray. How do we recognize that we've made an assumption about somebody? That's a great question. So when Paul says to Timothy in that same passage I was quoting, he says, do not be quarrelsome. And I said, the problem with being quarrelsome is nobody thinks they are. Mm. And the problem with assumptions is nobody thinks they make them. Right. They go, I have, I know, I know this guy. I have great intel. I can tell this person. (laughs) And so with assumptions and quarrels, like a quarrelsome heart or an assuming posture, that's usually something that you have to learn to ask someone close to you. Am I quarrelsome? Do you think I made an assumption? Like yeah. that that's sort of one of those things where you're going to need outside help yeah. to to understand mm-hmm. that. 
you're blinded mm-hmm. to your own who you really are you know oh it's, my goodness yeah. yes absolutely <laughs> when i hear people go and you can be familiar with this oh man you're writing in that ccm box you know you're right in that box for christian music or whatever i go we're all boxes yep. what are you talking about i'm not an ethiopian boy who lived in a village my whole life like i have this these parameters of what i've experienced and read and so the quicker i can understand that i don't have a universal perspective the quicker i can actually appreciate other people's boxes mm. that's and good i like that now i don't want to pick on anybody in the room who may have um, negative interactions and automatically go, ooh, that person's an enemy. I'm pointing to myself. <laughs> uh, this is something that I struggle with. And, you know, I've had, it, I've had it happen to me, too, where just based on a difference of opinion, somebody goes, well, you're enemy number one. We're done. Uh, the most recent thing I can think of was a, a longtime friend when I, I didn't vote the same way that this person did blocked me on everything so that i think happens a lot what advice do you have to those of us who tend to approach situations like this and these negative combative interactions that i mean shouldn't be taking place in the first place yeah the block button oh boy that's a tough one (laughs) that is a tough one um, especially when it comes to politics, I'm so glad the Chosen series has come out because it's given people a real tangible visual uh, portrayal of this. And it's something not only I, but lots of people have been pointing out for years is, is the absolute controversy that Jesus had Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot in his posse. I mean... Simon the Zealot would have been trying to murder Matthew. Mm. That's how politically, diametrically opposed they were. And Jesus goes, you're both in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the reasons I think we block people is because we have misinterpreted this single verse in Thessalonians that says, let there not be any, uh, oh, what's it say? Let there not be any uh, appearance of evil named among you. But that, that translation is only in about half of the English translations because the Greek word actually means practice of evil. Mm. Okay. Now I'm going somewhere with this. If the appearance of evil is sin, then we have to block anyone or anything that makes it look like we might believe what they believe. We can't be friends with people because people might think that I believe what they believe. The problem with that is if that's what that translation means, then Jesus was a sinner. Because ah. they said, oh. they said he looks like a drunk and a glutton. Do you see who he's hanging out with? Right. Ah. So the, the practice of evil is different. That's why Jesus, it's almost like Jesus loved a bad reputation. He was the <laughs> least concerned with his reputation of anyone on earth. He's hanging out with tax collectors, drunks, gluttons, Samaritans, women, prostitutes. And then on the flip side, he's hanging out with Pharisees and the religious elite. So everybody's mad about Adam, you know, all the time. And he goes, yeah, but I eat with everybody. You're all my kind of people. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he can say that is because he knows like, 
He says, he says in John 5, you search the scripture because you think in them you have eternal life. But they are those that spoke of me. You didn't come to me that I might give you life. In other words, having the right position on an issue isn't ultimately what gives you life. It's understanding the scripture to the point that it leads you into a relationship and an encounter with the person of Jesus. And when you get that, when you get that, like encountering Jesus, being one with him is above all these words written about him, then that helps you have grace in the midst of those controversial discussions. That's good. That's really good. That was good. a long answer. Sorry, yeah, that was I like that. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it though. Yeah. Love it. Can you talk about the danger of, I, I've noticed the polarization we have in our country. And I think that it is so much easier now to what's the what's the word I'm looking for? You're 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 customizing your feed. You're customizing what you experience and what's around you. And so if it's politics or whatever it is, this is I'm creating my own little echo chamber of what I yeah. think and believe, and you've cornered yourself off from anything else. In fact, everything else is wrong. Yes, here's a, I, I talk about that a, for a long time and I call, don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. So we have this, we have this way and thanks to the algorithm of social media, it's kind of exasperated where now the more you click on something, the more the algorithm feeds you more similar content. Exactly. Mm. So the internet makes it easier than ever to hear differing opinions the algorithms make it harder than ever. It's kind of this strange right. tension that's happening. Uh, but what we do in the church, here's a fun little exercise to see how you process information. Take a quote, okay? And then say, like attribute the quote to someone you love and then attribute it to someone you usually disagree with. So like, for instance, uh, God, uh, don't be so clever, you forget to be kind. You know who said that? C.S. Lewis. Oh. Actually, Taylor Swift said that. <laughs> uh, okay. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. You know who said that? Rob Bell. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you know, John Piper said that. Oh, like, and yeah. it depends. It's right. like, and, uh -huh. and what I think is really fascinating is I think Paul makes a point in his sermon on Mars Hill to quote philosophers of the day who you can't, you can't agree with everything those guys are saying. Right. But he's going, yeah, but what they said is true. So I don't shoot the messenger. I inspect Every debate, I inspect every statement, not based on who said it, but on what it actually says. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's tough because we don't like doing that work. No, that's true. We'd rather cancel anybody who has some conflicting ideas about things. That way we don't have to do the work. But what ends up happening, and you could see this play out, is we deify a few people. Okay. 
because we we swallow everything they say hook, line, and sinker. These are the people you can trust what they say. Well, then what happens? They have a moral failure. Right. Or they have a shift in belief. And guess what? Your whole house crumbles because you've built what you believe, not in an encounter with Jesus first and foremost, but on what this person says about Jesus. And I think it's really, really important what Tim Keller said, I think hits the nail on the head. I, I, I listened to a sermon of his and he said, you know, if you only listen to one person, you're going to become a clone. Mm. If you only listen to two people, you'll be confused. <laughs> if you listen to a hundred people, you'll start to become wise. If you listen to 300 people, you'll become wise and you'll develop your own voice. And I think we have the opposite. Like I need to shelter myself from yep. anyone who might disrupt what I believe. And I would just say, hey, Jesus isn't that fragile. True. <laughs> That's true. You're right. Yeah. Oh, hey, you talk wow. about the importance oh. of kissing the fool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is it? And should I get ready? What do we? <laughs> is it me? Who's the who's going to kiss me? Should I kiss someone? What's going on? Kissing. What are we? Song of Solomon's over here? What's happening? What's, what is it? Kissing could lead to dancing, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a great T.S. Eliot quote where he, he, he basically says, you know, to kiss, kiss the fool um, that I already am. Mm. And, and the idea is some of us are so afraid to look stupid. We're so afraid to be proven wrong. Oh, yeah. Just watch yeah. somebody trip and they act like, it. oh, I planned that. You know? And I'll tell you what, man. And, and this is this is where I think I have like a superpower from playing. Oh, down dog, oh. down. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> Sally's Sally's got dogs at her house. Okay, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, this this is where I think I have a superpower from being in a band and being on stage so much is that I've fallen on my face so many times. I've I've literally flipped off a stage onto my back on the ground. I have tried to stage dive and been dropped. You know, I've <laughs> sung the wrong notes. I've sung the wrong words. I've played the wrong chords. And once you get used to being humiliated in front of a bunch of people, you realize how you never needed to be that precious about it to begin with. Because mm. you go, oh, I'm alive. I made it. Yep. Nobody cared. In fact, Sometimes they like you more. Oh, absolutely. They embrace it because you're a human being, you know. He forgot the lyrics to his own song. (laughs) Oh, he's so dumb. I love him. (laughs) So the quicker we can admit that we're a fool, the quicker we'll be able to realize we need wisdom. And the quicker we realize we need wisdom, the more apt we will be to listen to other people and not just ourselves. Oh, that's good. Mm, I love that. Uh, you know, you are uh, a husband, you're a father, you have four daughters. How have you learned to um, cultivate just that healthy space of of listening and modeling grace and extending grace to them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have four daughters. Pray for me. Having four daughters is amazing. Just someone's always crying in my house. Now, how old are they now? And sometimes my girls are crying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They are uh, 13, 11, 
nine and five. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's a lot going and on there. And ha- first of all, being married has been extremely helpful uh, because my wife tells me exactly how she thinks about something. Even if everyone's going, Mike, that was such a great thing. Oh, I loved what you said. I'd get off stage. She goes, well, that was terrible. <laughs> She's like, you weren't vulnerable at all. She'll call me right out. And then having daughters is amazing because their frontal lobes aren't developed yet. So the way they make decisions is not rational. It's completely based on emotion. Yeah. So if I can learn to listen to these beings without part of their brain fully developed, that helps me have a lot more patience for grown-up people. And sometimes those grown-up people are grown-up children who still don't seem to have their frontal lobe developed. <sighs> and everybody looks at me. Go ahead. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I love that. You know, in, in your chapter on deconstructing deconstruction, You highlight the Apostle Paul's teaching about being kind to everyone and how kindness leads to repentance. Wow. How do you recommend that we uh, embark on that journey? So, look, first of all, deconstruction is a bit of a buzzword right now. But we do, on one level, need to embrace that everyone who first followed Jesus had to completely deconstruct who they thought Jesus was supposed to be. Right? They, all the disciples thought Jesus was going to be a military political savior from Roman occupation. And when he did exactly the opposite, he let Rome kill him. They had to deconstruct their preconceived ideas. And so that, first of all, gives me a little bit more grace for people who what they think and they believe kind of falls apart. Um, I'm not advocating that we leave people in that space, but I do think it's interesting how there's this beautiful parable that Jesus teaches that nobody talks about where there's this, this landowner. And for whatever reason in my head, he's like Marlon Brando from the Godfather. He's like, <laughs> like, look at this field. I got, I got all this wheat in my field. It's beautiful. And It says an enemy comes in, he's got this beautiful field of wheat, and he plants weeds in the wheat. And the weeds start growing in the wheat. And the workers go, hey, boss, boss, you see all these weeds? Uh, We got to get rid of these weeds. They're all over the place, everywhere. Can we tear them out? We're really good. I want to tear them out. I'm so good at tearing out the weeds, boss. And the landowner says exactly the opposite of what we think he'd say. He goes... No, leave them in. Leave them in? Yeah, leave them in. You go in here, you tear out all these weeds, you're going to tear out all the wheat too. And Jesus says to the disciples, he explains the parable, he's like, me and the holy angels, it's our job to separate the weeds and the wheat. That's not your job. And we think, gosh, wouldn't the, wouldn't the church be a better place if there weren't all these doubters in it? Mm. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't the church wow. be better if we didn't have people asking these hard questions? Wouldn't the church be better if you didn't have people falling or switching what they believe? We got to get these weeds out of here. Yeah. And yet, Isaiah says of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break. A flickering flame he will not quench. 
So that tells me the way that I speak truth to someone who's deconstructing better not be like a reed-breaking, flame-quenching, overzealous servant trying to tear weeds all out. Mm. You need to you need to choose Jesus. You need to choose Jesus. You need What if our job is to get our knees dirty in the soil and whisper to the weeds, "Hey, I think you're a wheat, even if you don't think you are." Wow. That's good. Mm. Oh. I don't know, it's cuz in that passage Paul goes on to say, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to everyone. I looked up the Greek. It means kind to everyone. <laughs> says, <Yeah. laughs> patiently enduring evil. None of us want to do that. Mm. Able to teach. So don't go just talking if you don't know what you're talking about. Correcting his opponents with all gentleness, which I said before. And then it says this, perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the truth. Mm. Who grants repentance? Surely it's my presentation of the truth. That's what creates <laughs> repentance. It goes, perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the truth. That's not on you. You correct them with all gentleness because you're not the one who's going to change them. And how does Paul say in Romans 2, 4, does God change them and lead them to repentance? His kindness mm. is what brings us to repentance. And yet we think we need to use every other method. And let me just say this. I've probably said too much. Am I kind? Am I trying to change others through kindness? Here's a really good litmus test. When you fail and you screw up and you break that New Year's resolution or you fall back into that habit, what does the voice in your head sound like? You're a failure. You're, you're a loser. Yeah. When Adam and Eve royally screw up in the garden, it's so fascinating the words that God says to them he does not sound like the voice in my head mm -hmm. he says where are you who told you that he does not say what's wrong with you right i can't believe that you would do that again he says where are you who told you that and when we start to hear god's inquiry instead of the accuser's interrogation, when we hear God's curiosity instead of the accuser's condemnation, it changes the way we change. And it changes the way we try to change others. That's awesome. Well, you know, the Bible wow. says that they all know that we are Christians by our love. I don't know. We don't lead with that, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because we don't we want to patiently like endure evil true. and we don't want to give the ultimate like change right. over to God. Yeah. Because what if God like doesn't feel grant like we're repentance? doing something wrong? Yeah. You know? Yeah. What, what's wrong with my <laughs> uncle? I didn't present the truth clearly enough to him. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's not your job. Your no. job is 
to correct with all gentleness and right. kindness. Right. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I would take credit for it, but it was the apostle. <laughs> so uh, we always like to end our interviews with this question. Mike, what brings you joy today? What brings me joy? Yeah. I took my daughters to our favorite restaurant last night. And they tried oysters for the first time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and just replaying their faces in my mind. It's giving oh, me joy good. all day that's, today. It probably is. Mm. There's like a mixed, mixed reviews. Mixed reviews. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Be a little slimy. Depends how you yeah. eat them. I, I like them cooked myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not on mm-hmm. the half shell sliding. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> Let's cook those oysters. <laughs> I, I can make those faces your daughter's name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. What a good, great discussion. Thank mm. you so much. So Grace Absolutely. in the gray. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, let's just face it. We're given so many opportunities to disagree, to do it right, to do it well. Mm. Um, I think we could all learn how to do that properly. Uh, yeah. and, and bring people to Jesus or push them away. Yeah. You know, that's what we're doing. So, yeah. Well, it says in Corinthians that Christ is a stumbling block. So let's not try to take that job from him. Mm. Like, let's not be the stumbling block to the stumbling block. We make the path straight so that they can get to him. Amen. Mm. And what they do with him, that's on them. Yeah. Wow. Where can I we- love, love your uh, subtitle, Grace and Gray, A More Loving Way to Disagree. Yeah, kind of wraps it all up. Yeah. So nice. Sorry, Misty. I no, it's okay. On you. Um, I was gonna say, where can we pre-order the book? Well, you can go to mikedonahy.com or go to wherever you order books: Barnes Noble, Amazon, uh, Family Christian Bookstore. I don't That's know. Easy. Do they? They okay. don't exist anymore. Lifeway. <laughs> uh, Maybe they do online. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah. just yeah, you just go into Google's. You'll find it. Go into Google's. The Google has the answer. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mike. God Thank bless. You so much. Yeah. Good Cheers, stuff. guys. Damn. Thanks for listening to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast, heard on Family Life Radio. We would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can also find more exclusive content at myflr.org and FLR Mornings on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you support Family Life Radio, Radio. Thank you.